You're listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. Following two best buds and former college roommates on their journey to master the stock market and the art of being a dad. So pull up your cargo shorts, put on your grass-stained New Balances, and let's throw some stocks on the grill. Here are your hosts, DJ Brown and Mike Sabala. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stocks and Sandals. This is your host, Mike Sabala, joined as always by DJ Brown. DJ, how you doing, buddy? I am hanging in there, man. It's been a, a rough go at it this morning trying to get this technology <laughs> figured out uh, before yeah. we even start this podcast. We're having issues. So uh, if there are any technology issues or uh, malfunctions or if my mic's just cut out or I go anywhere, y'all just bear with us. We're still new to this and still learning. So, um, But I'm, I'm super excited to have a, on you know a guest with us today. Mike Tadeshi, and uh, you know Mike is joining us. Did I pronounce that right, Mike? No, you did not. No, everybody gets it wrong. <laughs> it's Tedeschi, uh, but that's Tedeschi. Ah, well, well, I'm glad I asked. That's okay. You know, so uh, that's Mike Tedeschi is joining us today. But um, so we're gonna have him on today to uh, talk about developing a trading plan and just kind of what goes into that and some of the things that you need to consider. Um, you know, when starting to get into the market and all that kind of fun stuff. So I think Mike's got a lot of really exciting things in store for us. Uh, but I also think it's going to be super confusing because, you know, my <laughs> co-host's name is also Mike. So uh, yeah. we're just going to have to kind of figure it out as we go. I don't really want to call uh, Mike, you know, Tedeschi. I don't want to call him by his last name, but I guess we could. I mean, how, how, you want to call him Sabala, Mike? You want me to call you that? Um, if you want, I'm sure. <laughs> um, it was real, so it was kind of confusing. So we record this through Discord, and Mike Tedeschi joined yesterday, and it was like in the morning, and he just typed, "It's Mike," and like you kind of have a ominous username already, and I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> somebody's like <laughs> spying on me." <laughs> so. uh. Yeah. So, uh, well, with that said, let's let's go ahead and pass it over to uh, Mike Tedeschi and Ski, not she. Uh, so we'll go ahead and pass it over to you. Give us a give us some a quick rundown of who you are and what do we need to know about you and uh, you know what do you have planned for us today? Sure, I've got a degree in economics and I've put that to use um, through a couple of different things. Uh, a number of years back, I actually ran a day trading. Uh, chat room, wrote a financial newsletter and did one-on-one -on -one coaching. And then I turned that into a professional career uh, managing portfolios. So I actually designed, develop, and managed portfolios for prospective wealth planning. And uh, I also still do one-on-one -on -one coaching uh, with people that want to become traders. And one of the things that we focus on is building out the trade plan, which is what this whole podcast today is about. Yeah. So we're super excited for this. I mean, I think this is going to really be valuable and have a lot of uh, a lot of content in there that I think uh, will be valuable for both beginners and more experienced traders and stuff. So um, and you have been active on our Stock Dads page as well. So for those of you who you know follow us on Facebook and uh, in our Stock Dads community, you've probably seen some of Mike's posts, you know, kind of just, uh, you know, doing like a weekly uh, daily updates on on different, uh, you know, S&P 
500 stuff and kind of tracking that and all that kind of fun stuff. So um, as you can see, he's already provided the Stock Dads community with a lot of value. But um, so with that said, I mean, Mike, do you have anything else? Mike Sabala, do you have anything else before we jump in or do you just want to kind of dive into this thing? Um, yeah, I think we can just jump in. I think it's going to be a pretty substantive episode. So if we just get right into it, word? I think that's good. I don't know. It is. Yes, it is. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Nice. <laughs> awesome. Well, good Good job. So, all right. Well, Tedeschi, let's hear what you got for us. Go ahead and take us, uh, take us through this. Sure. So when you start trading, you are really opening your own business. And I always like to make the restaurant analogy. If you were going to open up a restaurant in your neighborhood, there's a lot of pieces of information that you would have to know before you'd be able to open up the restaurant, where you're getting your food from, what your costs for those foods are going to be, what your labor is going to cost, how much rent, how much foot traffic do I need to have a marketing budget? What are we going to serve? What's the menu, et cetera. Um, and the only way that you have a successful restaurant is if you've really thought through all of those things and intelligently have gone about it. When you're trading, it's the same thing. You're opening a business for yourself. Your business is buying stocks at a lower price and selling them at a higher price, right? But you have to have an entire business plan around that or you're not going to be successful. Most people turn on the television. They see you know, Jim Cramer yelling about some stock, get interested in it and just start buying it. Or their buddy tells them about this latest and greatest, cool, awesome stock, and I got to buy it. You don't have any sort of plan. You're just kind of flying by the seat of your pants. So what I help people do is I help them line up and figure out exactly what it is that they need to be successful um, trading. And that comes everything from risk management, how to figure out what types of stocks you're going to buy, uh, how to find those particular stocks, different technical analysis pieces, how to track everything that you're doing, and really, really important, the psychological side of things, which we can talk about as well, because at the end of the day, you're not just playing against other participants in the stock market, you're really trading against yourself. We all have weird idiosyncrasies, and you really get to understand yourself in a way that you never do in pretty much anything else than you do with trading. So you've got to figure out how to best uh, psychologically work with yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think this, that sound, that analogy makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, you know, I'm, I'm working on my MBA. So, uh, you know, kind of learning a lot about the, the business administration side of things and, and how businesses are uh, developed and how they work and how they, you know, operate. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thought that I never really had uh, to equate, you know, trading to a business and being in my own personal business. So it's really interesting. And there's so many different ways that you can go about it. Sticking with the restaurant analogy, you could open up uh, something that serves Italian food, something that serves um, Indian food or Mexican or whatever. There's a lot of different ways that you could have a successful restaurant. It could be fast, casual, sit down, fancy, et cetera. Trading is the same. Um, there's many, many different ways to go about being successful, and there is not one correct answer. And a lot of authors, a lot of people say you've got to do things in one particular way, and that isn't true. But regardless of what type of strategy you use, successful traders all have one thing in common, and that's they manage risk properly. And that is by far the most important thing that you can do. Uh, as a trader's manager risk. And if you do that well, you stand a good chance of being successful in the long run. If you don't manage your risk well, you're pretty much going to be out of business at some point in the future. It's almost a guaranteed. 
So we just lost DJ. He <laughs> seems to happen pretty much every time. Um, but kind of going, we can just kind of carry on and he'll jump. Hey guys, back I'm in. back. Sorry about okay, that. Man, there he is. <laughs> nice job covering for me, Mike. You know, yeah, maybe next time little... pre- pretend like I'm still here and just, you know, take over rather than telling everybody that I jumped off. But, you know, <laughs> nice cover. Okay. My bad. <laughs> yeah. <back. I'll>, okay. <laughs> it's a learning experience. <laughs> no, um, but we're back. So, uh, no, how, so you were talking about risk management because I literally was gone for three seconds. So I heard, I think, everything. Um, but And that should only happen once. It usually happens once a, <laughs> once a time while we're doing this. But um, so how do we start? I mean, like, what, what's, the, what's the first step in creating this business? I mean, you talk about risk management. What does that look like? So um, the first three most important things in trading are risk management risk management and risk management (laughs) to drive the point (laughs) home a lot. Um, There is something called a risk of ruin calculator. All right. You can go into Google and you can type that in and you can play around with numbers. But what a risk of ruin calculator will allow you to do is it will allow you to put in a win loss ratio, meaning I'm right 70% of the time. And then it will allow you to put in when you're right, how much do you make versus when you're wrong, how much do you make? Meaning if you have a winning trade, you make $100. And if you have a losing trade, you make you lose $100, that would be a one-to-one. You can play around with those numbers and you can basically look at what would happen over the course of a thousand trades. And what you'll notice is, is even if your risk to reward and your percentage that you win isn't that high, if you lower the amount that you're risking per trade, your likelihood that you go broke is very little. So if you're putting 5% of your capital in a trade every single time, and that's the amount of risk that you're taking, and you only have a 50-50 shot of being right, and when you're right, let's say you make 1.1 times when you're wrong, right? That's a winning strategy. You have positive expected value. When you're right, you make $110. When you're wrong, you lose 100 bucks, and it's basically flipping a coin, um, but you're making an extra 10 bucks if it comes up heads every time. That's a successful trade. But if you risk 5 or 10% of your account per trade, the likelihood that it comes up tails 20 times in a row is still statistically possible. And so you'll end up seeing when you put those numbers in that you're pretty much assured that at some point in the future, you will lose all of your money. On the flip side, when you lower that risk from 5% to half a percent and you do the same thing, your risk of ruin goes to like 0.01%. And the point that I'm really trying to drive home is this is a numbers game at the end of the day. The best traders in the world might be right 65% of the time. They're going to be wrong a high percentage of the time. If you're risking 10, 15, 20% of your capital on every trade, it's assured that you will end up losing all of your money. So you need to find what your edge is, and then you need to keep your risk in a level that each individual trade doesn't matter. It's the sum total of a thousand trades that really will, will take you forward. Going off that example, like, do you have a general rule of thumb for like a percentage that you'll put in for like a positioning size? Like I know, so I'm in a lot of like forums and chat rooms and stuff like that. And it seems like people just kind of like throw half of their, you know, capital into a position um you know like for myself i started not that long ago i started with a thousand bucks when the stimulus came in um into my credit i think i've played pretty conservatively um but like i said 
I see a lot of people in like forums and chat rooms and maybe even some members of this podcast going in a little <laughs> heavy. Um, so do you just kind of have like a rule of Are thumb? Are you talking about me? Hold on a second. Are you talking about me? <laughs> I think you just threw you under the bus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm an aggressive human being. It's just in my nature. But no, I'm learning here. I'm learning. So being aggressive with $1,000 is very different than being aggressive with a million dollars because $1,000 we can get back if we make a mistake. If you have a portfolio that's a million dollars and you throw it all in and you lose it, it's going to take a long time to get that money back. Um, so there's that, so there's that to keep in mind as well. If you're trading with a very small account, you kind of need to risk a little bit more money because you can't buy, if you have a thousand bucks and you want to buy a share of let's say Nvidia, it's like $450. That would be 50 percent of your portfolio. And there's kind of no way around that. But to answer your question, um, really, if you think about it, half a percent to a percent risk per trade, and that's not the amount of capital you're putting in. That's how much you're willing to lose on the trade. And I'll, distinguish between the two here in a second, you'd have to be wrong a hundred times in a row to lose all of your money if you were risking 1%, right? Half a percent, you have to be wrong 200 times in a row to lose all the money, right? When you're getting started, everybody makes mistakes. The, the most successful traders in the world, if you read their life story, they all blow up accounts at some point, right? Because they're, they, they don't know what they don't know and they make some sort of mistake in terms of risk management. But they fight through it, they come back, whether it's save money for a number of years and take another shot, et cetera. They get to be successful because they stayed around the game long enough. When you're getting started, your goal is not to make money, it's to not blow up your account. Because <laughs> this, like everything else, to be really successful at it, you need to put in your, I think they say 10,000 hours, right? It's, it's any other professional thing. You, you don't just become a lawyer because you read, you know, something on a forum in one afternoon. It's thousands of hours of studying, et cetera. So you want to give yourself the best possible chance of succeeding. So personally, for me, if I'm trading intraday, I'm taking day trades, I'm risking maybe a third to a half a percent of my total portfolio in a particular trade. And uh, I try to keep my max loss for the day at 1% or under. So if I'm risking a third of a percent per trade, I could lose three trades in a row and then I would be done for the day. I can overcome a 1% loss. That's not a problem. If I'm losing 20%, losses work exponentially against you, right? If you lose 10% of your account, you need an 11% gain to get back to even. If you lose 50% of your account, you need 100% return. So you got to keep your losses small. Now, you had said uh, you the amount of capital you're putting in per trade. There's a couple of different ways that we can be traders. We can be intraday traders, like I just talked about, where you know I'm really not risking a lot percentage-wise. I'm trying to make a couple of pennies, and I'm doing that a bunch of times a day. I can look at swing trading, where I'm putting my capital to work for three to five days at a time, looking for a larger percentage return, and I'm holding things overnight. And when I'm holding things overnight, everything I put in is technically at risk. Even the greatest company in the world, the largest company in the world right now, Apple, they could be an earthquake in San Francisco that could screw up their headquarters overnight and the stock could open and be down 50% tomorrow. Now, there's very little percent chance of that happening, but theoretically, even the biggest company in the world could see a huge loss overnight. Sure. So one of the other ways that I manage risk is I won't put more than 10% of my account into an individual name if I'm holding it overnight. Because... Remember, if I lose 10% of my account, I need 11% to get back to even. I can stomach that. But if I put 50% into that company, that would be bad. And a lot of people are playing smaller cap companies like biotech stocks, 
where sometimes they have 90% gaps up and down overnight if a drug, you know, gets approved or doesn't get approved. Again, if you put, I'm only going to risk, you know, $100 on this trade, I'm going to give it two points. And if it breaks below that, I'm going to be out. But overnight, it gaps 20 points, you've just lost 10 times as much money. So not only do you need to manage the percent that you're willing to risk per trade of your overall portfolio, but you have to, to manage what percentage of your capital you're actually putting to work at a time. So can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by the gaps and the, the points? I, I, I know what you're talking about, but some of our listeners may be a little bit sure. uh, newer to the game. So I just want to make sure that we're you know, covering all those bases. So for the most part, during the day, stocks, uh, it ticks up and down, up and down. There's not large gaps in price, meaning if a stock was trading at $10, maybe the next minute is trading at $10.03. It doesn't all of a sudden just go to 13 bucks. So during the day, unless an announcement comes out and the stock is halted, which is very rare, it does happen, but it's very rare, price is continuous. But overnight, stocks don't trade, right? The market closes at four, after hours trading ends at 8 p.m., and then it doesn't start until the next morning. Some piece of news can always come out after hours. And so that stock that closed at 10 bucks, the next day could open at $7. And that gap is the price where the stock never traded. It never traded between seven and 10. It closed at 10, it opened at seven. And so it's harder to manage your risk overnight because there can always be those large outside events, news, earnings, et cetera, that make big fluctuations in the stock. And so whatever capital you put to risk in the market is technically always at risk. Sure. So um, aside from position sizing, what other ways would you manage or would you recommend managing risk? Well, one of the other things I th see people make a lot of mistakes with is thinking that things are not correlated when they absolutely are. For example, you might buy a tech stock and then you also might buy an oil stock and go, well, they're two different, completely different areas of the market. They can't be related. But as we saw earlier this year, pretty much every single stock went down in February. Everything went down together. And then when the market bounced, pretty much everything came back up together. So it's not just how much you're risking in each name, but also what percentage of your overall portfolio you've got at risk at one particular time. Because even if I'm buying that tech stock and I think I'm only going to risk X here and I'm buying that oil stock and I'm only going to risk X here, if one of those large events happens, you're actually risking in both of them. So things are a lot more correlated than people give them credit for. So for that, I would say at a time, you don't want to have more than three to 5% of your portfolio at risk across all of your positions. And so that might mean you have three positions where you're risking 1% or six positions where you're risking half a percent. But you need to keep the overall risk down because there will be those times where everything drops together or everything goes up together. And so things are a lot more correlated than you would think. So for DJ and I personally, like we both have relatively small accounts. Um, and I think that a lot of people like in the Stock Dads page and the people that are going to be listening probably also have relatively small accounts. So when you say like, you know, risking 3% of your capital and stuff like that, do you have like a goal for when to take gains then? Because like, you know, we're playing with such small amounts, it seems like we're probably going to really need to adjust our perception of how much money we're going to be making. Sure. So part of a building a trade plan out is figuring out exactly what you're doing on every trade. Before you enter a trade, you need to know everything about it. All right. I'm entering this stock and I'm doing it because maybe it's for a technical reason. 
Maybe it got over $10 a share, and that's an important level on the chart. You then need to figure out where you're wrong. Okay, well, if it goes back under $8 a share, obviously this breakout isn't real. My idea is probably wrong. So really, you take 10 and you minus 8, and now you have $2 worth of risk on that trade. Okay, and let's say you wanted to risk 100 bucks total on this idea. Right, two, and uh, you're risking two points at 100 shares. You can buy 50 shares. That would be $100 worth of risk. Now, when you're figuring that out, you also have to figure out where you think it's going to go to before you get in. If you look at a chart and you go, there's huge resistance at $11 a share. Well, that wouldn't make a lot of sense because you're buying something at 10, your stop is at eight, and your target's at 11. That would mean you're risking $2 to make one. That doesn't make a lot of sense. On the flip side, you may go, I think it can go to 15 because of what the chart's saying. Well, now you have $5 worth of profit against $2 worth of risk. That's, that's a good looking trade. And now you know what you're supposed to do as well. If it gets to 15, I'm going to take my money, right? And if it gets to eight, I'm going to get out of the stock. And so you have that plan in place before you get started. A lot of times, most people are just flying by the seat of their pants. They get in, they don't have a plan. If it drops too much, they're like, ah, if I sell it now, I'm going to lose all this money. I might as well just hold on to it. That's terrible. The money's gone anyways, regardless of whether you hit the sell button or not. Right. And the same thing on the target. You need to know where you think it's going to go and then you need to play it accordingly. Yeah. So how do you go about like setting or figuring out what your stop is going to be? Like, especially for like, I don't, I'm learning how, but I don't have a really great idea of how to read a chart. So like, is that where you would start with trying to figure out your, where to set your stops is looking at the chart and kind of seeing the support and resistance? Yes. So, I mean, there's lots of fancy indicators and RSI and you can use moving averages and all, you know, there's a lot of things that you can get into, but keeping things as simple as possible, the market can do three things. It can be going up, it can be going down, and it can be going sideways. When you look at a chart, there will be areas on the chart where if all you're doing is drawing a horizontal line, you can see that it's important price will run up into $15 over and over again. It'll never get above it. And you can see that play out over a couple of years. Well, if it breaks over 15, that's probably a big deal, right? And if it's at $14.80, I probably don't want to buy it because it's never getting over 15, right? You will see that without, just by looking at it, just by looking at charts, your eyes will get adjusted to that because they're very clear, the horizontal levels. Those are the most important. I would not try to figure out moving average crossovers and all the other things. It's making things unnecessarily complicated. Markets are either going up or they're going sideways or they're going down. If they're going sideways, there is a level where there is a battle that is taking place. Every time it gets to that level, what's happening is the buyers, the people that have shares are going, I don't think it can go any higher. I'm going to get out of my position. And they, they get out of their position and they sell and that causes the price to go back down. And when it gets to the bottom of that range, they look at it and they go, this seems very cheap. I should probably get some shares. And they buy it at, let's say, 10. And the stock just bounces between 10 and 15 for a while. What I look for is when we leave those ranges, either up or down, doesn't matter. If it's down, I'm, I'm shorting. And if it's up, I'm buying. And I'm going with the, with the flow. I'm looking for those levels. So horizontal levels on a chart is the most important thing to look at, um, in my opinion. Are you looking, uh, so let's say a lot of our stock dads community myself and mike included are predominantly 
swing traders and uh, like long-term investments, right? We don't do a whole lot of the day trade stuff because we either have the part-time day trading rules or we don't have, which I know there are ways around that with cash accounts and settling and all that kind of stuff, but that's for another episode. But for for the majority of us who are either swing trading or doing more long-term investments, you're looking at those charts for horizontal, you know, support and resistance and that kind of stuff. Are you looking at daily charts, monthly charts, yearly charts? What are you looking at most to give you the most accurate, like, look of what that chart's doing? So the time that you're going to play, it makes all the difference in the world as well. If you're taking a swing trade and you're looking to hold on to something for three to 10 days, I'm looking at an hourly chart and a daily chart. And that's really the two charts that I'm looking at. If you're looking at an investment, well, you need to think about it in investment timeframes. And investment timeframes meaning you're probably going to hold it six months, a year or longer. You need to be looking at weekly and monthly charts. You need to be looking at the big, big picture, right? And you want all the charts to line up. The most success that you'll have is when multiple charts are telling you the same thing. Meaning you look at the daily chart, it looks like it's breaking out. And then you back it up to a weekly chart and it also looks like it's breaking out. And same thing on a monthly. What happens a lot is people will look at the daily chart and go, man, this thing's breaking out at $12. It hasn't traded this high all year. It's fantastic. And then they'll go ahead and look at the weekly chart. And they won't look at the weekly chart. But if you looked at the weekly chart, you would see at $12.50, there's a major level there from three years ago. Well, that's probably going to be a problem. So you need to kind of get all the time frames aligned. If they're all telling you the same thing, the likelihood that you're going to be successful is there. Because what a chart is, is it's looking at all the participants that are playing on that time frame. So if a daily chart, a weekly chart, and a monthly chart are all telling you the same thing, that means traders that are trading daily charts, weekly charts, and monthly charts are all seeing the same thing. There's three times as many people that want to buy. Subsequently, you're going to get that kind of self-fulfilling prophecy play out. So could you just really quick, and this has taken a step back probably, but can you just go into a little bit, like what is a technically a daily chart? What is an hourly chart? Like, is that the close for every hour of a day or is it a close for like, which, like the candlesticks, like what do, what so do they each mean? Each of those candlesticks, whatever time frame you're looking at, that period is one candlestick. So if you're looking at a five minute chart, each candle represents five minutes in time. Um, and the candlesticks tell you four things. The top, the little wick that's on the top is the highest price it traded. The top line where it closed, that's where it closed. The bottom line, if it's green, the bottom line, if it's a red candle, that is going to be where it closed. And that means it went down, green meaning go up. And then the wick on the bottom would be the lowest price that it traded at. So that's open, high, low, close. That's the information you get from candlesticks. So if you're looking at daily charts, every candle is one day, weekly, every candle is one week, so on and so forth. Okay. So what um, daily routines do you go through to try and find these stocks that you want to get into and stuff like that? Like, how do you how do you approach that? OK, so two things. I'm going to look at this from a trading and from an investing standpoint, and I'm going to kind of push the investing a little bit more off to the side and talk more on the trading. In, in trading, um, pretty much all the stuff I'm doing is on the technical side of things. When I'm investing, I need to understand fundamentals as well. Right. And I actually when I'm investing, I actually combine both technicals and fundamentals together. But when we're talking about things from an investing standpoint, I'm going to look at things differently than from a trading standpoint. On a trading standpoint, my goal is to make the most amount of money in the quickest amount of time possible with the least amount of risk. Meaning I don't want to buy a stock that's just trading sideways and doing nothing because I could put my capital to work in something that's moving. So when I'm trading, I'm looking for the moving stocks. 
And in a bull market, I want to be looking at the stocks that are making 52-week highs. They're the strongest names that are out there. And you'll notice those names show up day after day after day after day if you're looking at a scanner that's looking at 52-week highs, right? Um, you know, biggest tech company out there, right? Amazon broke out earlier in the year. And if you looked at that list of 52-week high stocks, it was on it over and over and over and over and over again for months as it just continued to head higher. I want to see stocks like that. So every day I will look at the stocks that make new 52-week highs. Now, for me personally, I don't want to see the small cap stocks. So I remove the mid and the small cap, the, the small cap stocks from my screener. I'm looking at larger stock names. You don't have to do that. That's just one of the things I do because I'm looking at the bigger companies. I want to see 52-week highs. I want to see stocks that have enough volume. That's the other thing that's really important. I do not want to trade a stock that trades 50,000 shares a day. I want something that's trading a million shares a day. I want there to be that demand and I want there to be that liquidity so I can get in and out of a position easily. I'll look at that list every single day and the same names will show up over and over again. And I'll put them into a list. And when the stocks break out, eventually they'll start trading sideways and they'll form another pattern. And then I can look for that next breakout. If I miss the first one, I'll wait patiently for it to set up again. I don't chase things. I wait for the best entries possible. Um, poker, when you're sitting at a poker table, you have to play hands eventually. You can't just wait for the best hand because there's the blinds that you have to pay every single time. Trading, there's no cost to doing nothing. You can sit on your hands and not do anything. You need to be very, very selective in terms of what you, you want. And that's why a trading plan is so important. So you have your exact roadmap of what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and why you're going to do it. And if it doesn't fit those requirements, you don't do anything. Doing nothing sometimes is the right thing. In fact, if you really break down what trading is, you're saying no probably like 98% of the time to all the ideas that come at you. You're just no, 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 no. Okay, that finally fits my requirements. Let's do that one. Yeah, I think that's helpful because one of my questions was, you know, you were saying you look for things that are at the 52-week high. And from a very inexperienced trader's perspective, to me, that sounds like, okay, it's at the top. So those are things that I would not typically be looking at, you know? So people like to look at things that they think are cheap, right? Things that seem like they might be a good value. And re the reality is, is you want to buy the leaders, the lead, the leaders, and you want to leave the laggers alone. There are a lot of people out there that try to play catch up. They'll see, for example, one tech stock is just taking off and another one is going down. Well, I think the one that's going down has got to catch up to the other one. It's not how companies work. If you really think about it, go back to the dot-com bubble, all right? There are a couple of names that made it out of there and are taken over the world at this point in time, right? And then there was hundreds that went bankrupt and were gone, right? So if you were buying the crummy companies, they're not here anymore. Well, it's, it's the same thing. Like stocks that are going down when the rest of the market's going up, the market's telling you something's wrong. You personally probably will never find out what it is, but the market is not wrong. The market is saying, this is only worth this. And maybe it's because some somebody knows some inside information that their numbers for the next earnings are going to be bad. So they're not buying it and they're buying something else instead. You will never know what the answer is. But looking at a chart, the, the stocks that are the strongest continue to stay the strongest. And they are month in, month out, over and over and over again. Um, and the laggers, they keep falling. Yeah. So you've given us a lot of like really awesome content about like how to come up with a plan, how to be prepared, how to you know, do things methodically so that you're making, you know, good decisions. Do you recommend like, or how do you recommend, I guess, um, 
learning from mistakes and, you know, remembering the things that you did right and that kind of stuff? So one of the most important pieces of a trading plan is journaling and what you are going to do to keep track of everything that you've done. Remember, I said earlier, this is a numbers game, right? And you need to look at the data as a whole and figure out what's working and what isn't. And so what I mean by that is you should put down the ticker that you're trading, right? You should put down your entry point where your stop is going to be, where your target's going to be. Those things you have to have. And then you're also going to put down why you took the trade, right? Was it a particular pattern? There's a number of different patterns that I go over. Um, maybe it's an ascending triangle. So you'd write that down, right? Or it's a breakout play. You'd write that down, whatever the case may be. And then after you have, you know, 10, 20, 30 trades, you go back and you look at the data and you look at all the ones that worked and the ones that didn't work. And maybe you see to yourself, man, every single time I took uh, the ascending triangle, it didn't work out. But every time I took the descending triangle, it worked. Maybe I should not do this one and I should do the other one because that's what the numbers are telling me. So you got to go back and you have to look at it. And the thing is, you won't remember. That's the, that's the, the thing. If you don't write it down and you don't diligently go about it, you're not going to remember why you took a trade three weeks ago. And if you lose money on a trade, that's fine. You have to look at it as you just paid tuition to Mr. Market. Well, take the lesson that Mr. Market taught you and don't take that course again, okay? You're going you're gonna to pay for lots of different courses while you're trading and you're learning, but you don't want to pay for the same course twice. So losses is where you actually get the most information, and that's really where you want to learn the most from it. So let's say you have a, a string of losses, right? And I mean, we're going to have down the road, we're going to have another episode on kind of like really diving deep, deep into this. But from a trading psychology perspective, how do you personally deal with that? What do you do to kind of reshape your plan? How often do you reevaluate? Like, what do you do to make sure that you don't just fold? Because it can get hard. I mean, especially, you know, like, my, like for myself, you know, with like a small account, uh, you know, I, I have gone like, I, I think I had a lot of beginner's luck at the beginning. You know, I hit a lot of real, you know, really solid winners. I made a lot of percentage gains and all of a sudden I'm like, I'm on top of the world, right? And then and that's actually the worst experience that you can have getting started. You do not want to come out of the gate and have these huge wins. It's not a good thing because you start feeling confident when there actually is no reason for you to be confident, right? And that can actually ingrain bad habits. Oh, I did that this time and it worked. Let me do it again, right? And that may not... It, Again, it, good things can happen when you make mistakes. But to, to get back to your question, um, can you phrase it one more time for me? Yeah. So just like how do you reevaluate your goals ah, or yes, how do you reevaluate what you're doing to make sure that you don't keep making the same mistakes over and over? So your trading plan is a living document and you need to go back and you need to, to tweak it. Remember, I said markets do three things. They go up, they go sideways, they go down. If you have a good trade plan for a market that's going higher and the market's going higher, things are working out. Well, at some point in time, the market stops going higher and now it's going sideways. If you do the same things that you were doing while the market was going higher, they're going to stop working. So when you lose a number of trades in a row, the first thing you need to do is you need to go back and look, did I take good trades? Like, were they part of my plan? Or did I go off the reservation and do things I shouldn't have done? If you're taking good trades and they're not working out and it's happening over and over again, I bet you the market is changing from one of those phases to another phase and you need to adapt. Adapt or die is essentially the way that it works. So you need to have a plan 
for what you're doing when the market's going up, when it's going sideways, and when it's going down. And you have to be able to figure out which one of those it's going. Now, let's say it's switching back and forth and you're really not finding anything that's working at the moment. You need to take a step back. If you look again at some of the most famous traders in history, there were times where they would just pack up their stuff. Jesse Livermore, for example, would just leave New York and go out on a boat for months on end. The market <laughs> wasn't giving him the opportunities he was looking for. It wasn't worth the effort. Sometimes, again, doing nothing is the right thing. So taking a step back, analyzing what you've done. If you think that you're playing correctly in the markets not, and you're not winning on trades, it's probably because the market's changing direction. And the last thing that you can do is shrink your position size because confidence is super, super important. If you have no confidence in what you're doing, the market moves against you a little bit. You're going to sell the one that ultimately will be a winner because you just don't want to see any more red. There's that psychological component. So if you back yourself down to a smaller level and get yourself back on track and build that confidence back up, it, it will snowball for you in a positive fashion. I see way too many times people increase their, their risk level because they want to get that money back really fast. And remember, it's not about each individual trade. It's about the sum total of all the trades. So we have to keep our risk the same and we can't go off the reservation. So kind of going off of that, do you have a process for like phasing in or phasing out if you're winning or losing? Like how do you reduce your position and take gains or reduce your position and cut losses? Like what's your process for that? So, I mean, my losses for the most part, they're, they're just, a, it's a straight, I'm out of stock goes below eight. I mean, I will literally put a physical stop in the market. I, that's the other thing. People sometimes will say, I'll get out below eight, but they don't put an actual stop in. And then it's at 750 and they go, I'm going to wait till it gets back to eight. And then it's 650. I'm going to wait till it's back. Eight, like percentage wise, like 8% is your. No, percentages don't matter because the amount of shares you buy is directly related to the amount of risk you're willing to take. So if I have a stock that I own at 10 and I want to stop out at nine, again, if I'm risking $100, I could buy 100 shares because I'm risking one point. If my stop is at eight, I'm buying 50 shares instead. So it's not a percentage that I'm risking per trade. I'm risking the same dollar amount per trade. And that's a very big difference because 8% move in Walmart is very different than an 8% move in Tesla. So I couldn't use the same percentage stop between the two stocks. It won't work, right? Volatility is really what you're going to ultimately determine your position size. Okay. Um, Mike, do you have any other, uh, well, Sabala, do you have any other questions for Tedeschi? Well, he wanted to scale out on the upside. That was the other piece of that. Question. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, totally yeah. forgot about that part. Um, so in really good markets, I, I use Fib extensions, which give me three upside targets. Okay. And that's, that's how I have them set up. Is that like a Fibonacci? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, it gives me three upside targets the way I've got mine set up. And so I will scale out on the way up. If, mar if the market's going higher and we, we're clearly in an uptrend and I'm trading something on the long side on a breakout, I'm going to go one, two, and three, and I'm going to take my profit at a third at each level. Okay. If the market's going sideways and my stock is breaking out, I will still take the trade, but I'm going to take all of my profit at the first target because the likelihood that it's going to continue to follow through and follow through and follow through when the overall market isn't is lower. So if I get to the first target, I'm not going to be greedy, so to speak. I'm going to take the green and I'm going to put it in my pocket. So I actually have that detailed broken out in my trade plan. Are there ever times where, say, you get into a stock and it goes up a little bit, but it doesn't seem like it's hitting your target? Will you ever just get out of it then or will you wait? So that's always the tough question. 
right? Um, there's two things to think about with this as well. As you get closer to your first target, the risk to reward shifts from being in your favor to being out of your favor, okay? Take that same example. We buy a stock at 10, it's now at 11. My target was 12. I'm up $1. My stop originally was at nine bucks. So I was risking a dollar to make two. Now that it's at 11, I'm actually risking $2 to make the last dollar. And so as you get closer to your target, the risk to reward flips the other direction. But if you never let anything run to your target, then your original risk to reward is never your actual number. So you're, there's always a little conundrum there. So what I'll do in those situations is really look at the overall market. And then I will look at the sector that stock is in. So let's say it's an airline stock. If all of the other airline companies are continuing to move and the one I'm in isn't, I'm getting out. I'm going to take that little bit of profit. I'm going to say something's not right. On the flip side, right, if uh, the, the overall market is just kind of pausing and going sideways and everything, all the other airline companies are just kind of going sideways, I probably can stay with it. I don't have confirmation one direction or the other, and I just need to go with what I think from my trade plan. So I'm sorry there's not like a 100% definitive answer. It's We always kind of have to adjust things uh, in this game. And again, it's just really based on what you're trying to accomplish. Right. Um, and just to circle back really quick, I think that we want to do an episode more on like indicators and stuff, but could you just really quick describe what the Fibonacci thing is? Like I've heard of it, but I'm not really even sure. Honestly. So there's two different fibs that you will see. One is a fib retracement and one is a fib extension. And they kind of go with what you think. A retracement would be retracing a previous move. So that's something if a stock went, let's say from $10 to $5, you would draw your Fibonacci retracement from 10 to five, and it will give you levels on the way back up if it was going to retrace that previous move. And it's 31.8, 61.8, 68.2. They're the Fibonacci numbers. But they're levels where when you bounce, a lot of times things will fail at those zones. So they're, they give you targets to take profit. Fib extension, price has never been this high before. Where could it go? I use 1.242 and 3, which is really just saying 124% of the previous move, 200% and 300%. So if the previous zone was 9 to 10, it's a dollar the first FIB level would be $11.24. And so I would get a 1.24 to 1 risk to reward if I took that trade. But it gives me levels and they work pretty well. It's, I mean, algos use them. So the algorithms are using them and that's part of the reason why they work. And technical analysis is kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where a lot of people are seeing things the same way and subsequently it happens because of that. Okay. So, yeah, so basically... It's just pretty much an overlay that you put over your chart and it'll have kind of zones to Correct. look at. Yeah. Okay. And if you want to keep things as simple as possible and you don't want to use fibs or anything like that, measured moves is probably the simplest concept to get on that front. The market tends to move in same size zones, meaning if a stock is trading between $10 and 20 and $10 and 20 over and over again, that's a $10 range. If it meets that range and goes to the upside, it probably goes up 10 bucks and probably goes to 30. So you could use that as kind of your thought process. And that is kind of how Nikola Darvis made his money. If you've ever heard of a Darvis box, that's all that he was doing was looking at a range and the size of that move, that's the next size he would expect to get. And that's keeping it as simple as possible. Well, man, this has been super, super valuable content. Yeah. 
packed. I mean, I've learned a ton um, already, and you know, I'm so excited to kind of dive into this stuff a little bit more and you know, actually put together a trading plan because right now I'm getting my butt whipped um, because I don't really have a trading plan, and I've kind of been, you know, uh, doing exactly what you said, and I uh, I had the beginner's luck, and and now I've I think I've got some bad habits, and now I'm kind of uh, you know trying to to claw my way back to where um to where i'd like to be so i mean this has been super super valuable um I, what do you I think Mike? Have, yeah so going off of that and i think we're going to wrap up here pretty soon but just uh um for dj me for example who probably have some pretty bad habits and don't have like a very established trading plan how would you suggest that we kind of take a step back and get out of the market and kind of form where we want things to go. Well, you should hire me and I can help you put together one-on-one. I say that jokingly, but I am curious. If people do want to work one-on-one, that is something that I do. And and, and this is, I've worked with hundreds of traders over the years, and this is uh, definitely my specialty. But if you want to go off and kind of do it on your own, the main pieces that you have to think through are as follows. And I do suggest, I like what you suggested there, to back yourself out of the market and kind of reset yourself. That's really important. Because if you don't have a plan, it, it, it you can't have repeatable success. And that's really what you're looking for. Right. So to sum up kind of everything that we've gone for, how would you go about doing this on your own? First, you need to figure out what you're going to trade. Okay. Are you trading equities? Are you trading options? Are you trading futures? Are you, you know, figure out what you want to trade. And then you want to figure out what types of trading you want to take. Right? What patterns do you want? So focus on one thing to begin with. Go look up ascending triangle pattern and focus on that, okay? And to describe that real briefly for you guys, it's a flat top. So price doesn't get above $10, but it's an ascending triangle, meaning the bottom portion of that pattern continues to get higher. So the original low is at eight. Now the last low is at nine, and then the next low is at 950. Think about that from a psychological perspective. Can't break over 10, but every time it drops, people jump in sooner than they did before. They're like, I can't, I don't think it's going to go back to nine. I got to get in now at 950. And eventually when that breaks out, that's usually a very powerful move. So look at one thing like that and just focus on maybe ascending triangle patterns. I think that's a very easy one to see on the chart. I think it's one that works very well. Define how you're going to, how much you're going to risk per trade. All right. Whether it's a dollar amount, percentage amount, have that down. And then make sure every trade that you take, you know where your stop is and you know where your target is. You know what you're doing. Really, you have to think about taking a trade as I am betting the stock goes to 13 before nine. Nothing else matters. That is that is the bet that you're making. And let it play out. And then keep track of each of those trades that you've done and go back and look at the results. And when you analyze your own results, you'll start to see things that work and don't. And then as time goes on, continue to adapt, add a different pattern, add a different thing to look at, right? And continue to build that trade plan out. And the last piece of that trade plan is your daily routine. So how are you going to find your stocks, right? Maybe it's looking at that screener like we talked about, you know, whatever the case may be. But you need to have some sort of a routine. It's got to be repeatable if you want to have success. That's awesome, man. Super, super content value value packed. Um, but I mean, we wouldn't be a dad podcast if we didn't talk a little bit more about uh, dad stuff. I, you're, I hear you're a new dad. I am. I have a a 14 month old as of yesterday. Little girl is our first. So it's been a uh, 
Thank you. It's been a it's been a fantastic year, and with everything that's going on in the world in terms of being stuck in your house, it's actually given us the ability as a family to spend a lot more time together in that first year. So that's the positive of all the coronavirus crap that's mm-hmm. going on. Is it really got yeah. to be there, and that's been pretty cool. Yeah, for sure. I'm a I have a girl and a boy, uh, but I my girl was first, and I got to tell you, there's something just wild about a father-daughter relationship and it's 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 pretty inexplainable to anybody who doesn't have a daughter um but i can tell you it's not a it's not more love it's a different type of love so when you ever have a a, if you have a son you know it's gonna it's gonna feel different but it'll be it's it's just a very different i don't know uh, spectrum of emotions and stuff, at least in my experience. So, um, but Mike Sabala, what's your, what, uh, you had a dad joke for us today? Uh, I do. So, okay. I got to make sure I phrase it right. What is the difference between an old bus station and a lobster with a boob job? <laughs> Before I even hear the answer to that, I'm I'm gonna need you to say it again because that is a wild question. <laughs> it's, yeah, okay. <laughs> All say right, that listen, again. Listen, Hold on. Listen closely. I yeah. So, what is the difference between an old bus station and a lobster with a boob job? I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> okay. One is a crusty bus station, and the other is a busty crustacean. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> oh, man. That is so dumb. <laughs> but I love it. <laughs> uh, and what's your favorite dad joke, Tedeschi? You got one on in, in your back pocket? I don't have one in my back pocket. I'm a very punny guy, so it's uh, very situational. So there you I don't go. think I can top on fucking crustacean. So yeah, I, yeah that's, that's, a, a, that's a much. I feel like that's a better way. That's like, <laughs> I wish I were more punny than yeah. <laughs> having just corny dad jokes in my back pocket. <laughs> Yeah, man, that one sets kind of a an all time new low bar for us. We are definitely <laughs> on, a, on a, a descending triangle on, yeah. on our podcast. <laughs> uh, but all right, so I got one for you guys. Um, did you did you guys hear the rumor about the peanut butter? No. No. Yeah, I don't want to spread it. No. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I feel like mine was better. It probably was. They usually yeah. are. You're just, just a more biased. natural dad than me, you know? I guess so. I actually heard that one on a um, Bumble date, so <laughs> it wasn't oh, even wow. a, an original. <laughs> Bumble. What does that even mean? Tell me about Bumble, Mike, since you're our young single uh, our young single <laughs> resource here for, for all things, you know, not marriage and children life. What is that? Uh, it's a so it's a dating app. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You getting a lot yep. of success on that? Mm, less than uh, I would prefer. <laughs> oh, how's your uh, how's your risk to reward? Like, what's your range? You know, what we're ta- what are we talking about here? How many uh, swipe rights do you do for every one that you swipe left? How does that work? <laughs> um, it's probably like a. 
it's pretty low, honestly. It's probably like a 20, <laughs> 20 to 80, like 20% okay, okay. yes, 80% no. Selective. <laughs> like I like situation. it. Yeah. Man, like got to manage Selective. my risk, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, I think I got one. I got one silly dad joke. And since we were talking about Amazon before, I thought I'd throw one in here. So uh, I ordered a chicken and an egg from Amazon. I'll let you know. <laughs> Which comes oh, first. Nice. <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, uh, so Tedeschi. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, thanks for being a part of the Stock Dads community as well and sharing some of your knowledge already with the with the people for free. Um, obviously, you know this is what you do for a living and stuff. And I, I highly, you know, just from talking to you for the last what 30, 40 minutes or so, it's been wildly, you know, valuable. So I would highly recommend anybody listening to to check you out um, to go add your your Facebook page and reach out to you and stuff like that. I mean, do you have any plugs for us here? What do you, what, what do you got to share that, uh, the people can, how can they find you? Um, you can always find me on the, on the Facebook group and, uh, I'm Michael Tedeschi on Facebook. Um, you can also find us on our website at perspectivewealthplanning.com. And we also have a YouTube channel under the same name as well. Uh, put two videos out a week. Uh, one is put out by my uh, two co-owners. Uh, it's more news driven. And I put a video out every Thursday that's really in-depth technical analysis. So we cover both spectrums um, over at uh, Perspective World Planning. So thank you guys for uh, for having me today. And maybe you'll have me again sometime. Yeah, oh, we definitely will if you're willing. That's, you know, that's going to be totally up to you. You've earned your spot in the Stock Dads universe, <laughs> in my opinion. So uh, the Stocks and Sandals podcast is happy to have you. We will definitely uh, put your uh, information into the show notes. So for those of you listening, make sure you check out the show notes for uh, Mike Tedeschi's information and how you can find out more about him and um, Perspective Wealth Management. And um, for those of you who have not joined the Stock Dads community already, uh, check us out. I mean, we've got a really awesome community of dads that are just kind of working together. And then Mike. Sabala, who's not a dad, got yeah. always, you know, <laughs> nice group of dads and me. <laughs> uh, we got to, you know, just uh, plug the group a little bit. Awesome community. Uh, you know, we just want to grow and grow healthily. So we're, we're pretty selective on, on who we let in and out. We're not going to let anybody that's going to come in and spam us. So, uh, you know, don't try that. If you are one of those that are listening, it's not going to work. We've got the best mods in the world. So, um, but no, join our community and we will, uh, you know, we have a lot of fun. We talk about dad stuff. We talk about stocks. We talk about uh, investing and, and all sorts of fun stuff. So, um, but with that, I, uh, I think we're going to peace out. I got to go cut my grass. I got to throw on the new balances and cut the grass. What are you guys going to do the rest of the day? I'm going to get back to watching the market. I mean, I've got my eight screens here. I, I got to put them to use. Oh, <laughs> wow. that, that puts that, my iPhone. Yeah. That was such a flex. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel really inferior all of a yeah. sudden. So I'm going to go like lift some weights. Uh, yeah. like I'm going to go buy a, ton of computer screens <laughs> right. well all right you guys well let's that's it for today we're gonna wrap it up and uh but until next time this is stocks and sandals podcast we'll talk to you guys soon thank you for listening to stocks and sandals a podcast by stock dads for stock dads 
Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and join our Stock Dads community on Facebook and Instagram. But most importantly, don't touch the thermostat.